Hallelujah Monkeys for August 21st. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. It's Eclipse Fever, Trevor. I know, yeah. How um, how much of it are you going to be able to see uh, by you? I think we're only going to get about like 40% of it. So I'm in the path of the of the full totality eclipse, and I'm going to have a good long look at it, I guess. But here's the thing. So 6 million people are going to be funneling into my area to come see this thing. Okay. And... I can walk outside of my door and do it, and I feel like there's a good chance that I'm going to forget to. Like, I don't care at all. You know, I recently found out that, like, uh, you know, everybody says it's, like, really bad to look at an eclipse, right? Yeah, you're supposed to wear special glasses. Yeah, apparently, like, it's no worse than looking at the sun at any other time. So, like, you could you could still look at it. Look at it like you would look at a... At a, a piece of somebody's anatomy, but without the, you wanting them to know or whatever. Sure. That's, yeah. Okay. But but here's the thing, Trevor. I think the reason, honestly, why I don't really care about the total eclipse is that I associate the image of a total eclipse with, like, really bad movie posters and album covers and stuff. Uh, it's just been co-opted by bad art. And so I think it looks corny. Like, I think the sun is being is like trying a little too hard when it does a total eclipse. Well, I can't hear total eclipse without finishing it in my head as uh, of the heart. Right, and neither can a karaoke night, apparently. No. Any karaoke night in America, apparently. Oh, that would be pretty cool, though, going to a karaoke night during the eclipse and doing that song. <laughs> oh, I wonder I wonder how many people have that idea and how many... Because here's the thing that you forget about that song. It takes a long time to get to that chorus. It does, it takes yeah. A it very really long does. Time. <laughs> Got a long build up. Don't do, um, don't do Hotel California, either. Trevor, let's get into the news. It's all good news now. It's a new single release, and so, of course, we have a, a steady trickle of new Gorillaz remixes. The coolest of which I think has been the k mix. I had some high hope for this, Trevor, because the Gorillaz Instagram, or I think maybe Noodle's Instagram account, like Jamie Hewlett bothered to draw her hanging out with, with K-Trinata. Oh, that's pretty cool. So I was like, oh, maybe this is like going to be a little something, something special. Something special. I don't think that it was. I don't think that it was special at all. It was okay. It was uh, it was pleasant. I guess so. So the the kind of the concept of it, I guess, is that like uh, Pevin's vocals are pushed way into the background. Well, it's not even that his vocals are pushed way into the background. I think it's just his backing vocals for a while, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, he's he's looping a lot of his kind of like chorus ad libs, but they're but you know they're they're background in the mix. Yeah, you know and I, I mean? actually like that part. I don't really feel it when his voice comes to the front of the mix again. It's sort of like very much built around this kind of live drum sound. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just don't understand electronic music anymore. Like it it keeps it goes through so many permutations and uh I just don't quite get the hook of this one for me. I mean, I'll probably never listen to it again. But it was fine. Hey, I'll never listen to it again, but it was fine. That's the pull quote for the Katrinata <laughs> remix from Trevor Ickrath. <laughs> you could just use that one for free. So apparently Damon's on vacation right now. Yeah. Slacking on his gorilla's duties. I mean he did that, you know, he had that outside lands show. I guess he's got a little bit of a gap. Why not why not pop over to Chile? Resting on his laurels. You know, back I remember back in the day, instead, you know what you know what Damon did instead of taking a vacation? He made albums on his iPad. There was no time wasted on, on a gorilla's no. tour back no. in the day. No. 
but apparently he he met up with some fans in Chile. There's a big following for gorillas in South America, um, and he decided to start chatting gorillas and and future gorillas plans. And he let slip Trevor that he hopes at least to uh, release a live gorillas album or perhaps a documentary about the humans tour uh, some at some point maybe towards the end of the phase. That would be really cool. What do you think the live album would be? Do you think it would be the Printworth show? Do you think it would be the Demon Days set? I like to think that it would be a cobbled together version of humans from like the best of the tour. Yeah. What kind of live albums do you prefer? Because there are those two different kinds. There's the cobbled together, you know, tour highlights. And then there's the like, we want you to listen to this one single performance all the way through. I mean, I think... I think the latter maybe has potential, more potential to be like an enduring classic, but right. it's a much longer shot. Like if that doesn't happen very often and more often you're kind of like, oh, well, this version of this song's really cool on this and this version of this song kind of sucks on this. And so I think for consistency's sake, I prefer it when they curate it, just like look at the whole tour and try to give you the best of each track. I'm actually, the I lean the other way. I like the single performances. I think there's just something more special about that. Like the Cheap Trick Budokai album? That's good. Yeah, or like Live at Leeds? Yeah, that's sure. But I mean, for every one of those enduring classics, there's, you know, a hundred forgettable non-releases. You know? Right, but can you can you name any, like, classic cobbled-together ones? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, the the Blink-182 one where they <laughs> sing that song about blowjobs. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Speaking of live shows, though, something happened at a Kid Koala one recently, right? Apparently, in a Portland show recently, Trevor, he he teased that uh, Lonely Man is coming. Yeah. Gorillas, gorillas fandom, you're welcome. The Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Do you think? Do you think it's our Twitter campaign? That, that I, got- I have no doubt. I have no doubt. The Hallelujah Monkeys... Uh, army fan base i i I knew they could do it and they have if you're not aware uh around shortly after the the gorillas album dan the automator had a completed solo album called omakase uh and it was scrapped because of some label bullshit and it's never seen the light of day and we are aware of this song from it called lonely man which featured damon albarn and most death together before phase three uh, because of of Kid Koala doing a sort of a version of it live, which is called the routine or Gorilla's routine, um, and uh, apparently, apparently, it's going to see the light of day. Trevor, now here's my here's my proposal of how this happened. Uh, our listeners started bothering Dan and, and Koala. About, did they? Did anybody tweet at them? Yeah, like eight or nine people did. Sweet, cool. All right, way to go, guys. Kid Koala, I think, even responded to one or two of them. But anyway, uh, and then on top of that. Koala and Dan have been working together because they both worked on the Baby Driver soundtrack together. Right, yeah, that is correct, yeah. So they did some press for that, so maybe while they were hanging out, like, Kid says to Dan, hey, you know, people are asking about Omakase again, and Dan's like, oh, maybe we should put it up on SoundCloud or something. Can you That's imagine? my theory. Can you imagine? What do you think the chances are? Mm, I'll put it at 40%. <laughs> okay. That's, that's fair. The eclipse, the eclipse number. So 40%, you're welcome, Gorillaz fam. Anything else in the news? No, I don't think so. I will say, though, that he, I'm not angry at Damon Albarn for taking a, a, a little break on the tour and enjoying some, some fun I in am. the sun. But what I'd like him to be working on during this tour, Trevor, is the, is the Good, the Bad, and the Queen Brexit album. I'd like him to be writing those songs. <laughs> I can't wait for that project. That should be amazing. Yeah, but first, let's talk about more gorilla stuff and uh, yeah! get into, uh, you know, take a seat at the round table. Let's do it! Help me understand why yeah, we well, have male, African-American males in the context of New York. 
at the Apollo, no doubt, singing, yeah, I need a gun it is to keep me heart. from harm. No, it doesn't, it's just to keep myself among. Uh-huh. Keep myself among the With poor people who are burning in the sun. It says harm. No, that's not the lyric. See, that's, that, then that's something that, different. That's not the lyric at all. It says, I need a gun to keep myself All right, Dylan, so I know this is a little unorthodox, but I want to uh, begin our roundtable discussion with a discussion question. The sound happened. It happened. How relieved are you that you and I never have to discuss at length the gorillas cartoon characters on this podcast ever again? You know what? You, famous last words, Trevor, because there's some some weird bullshit phase four lore happening around the strobe light video right now. We, we won't we won't talk about that yet. I just I, it's been interesting, like listening to like the you know noticing the progression of this podcast because it's kind of mirroring like my initial experience with gorillas. You know where I got really into it. And then I decided to take a closer look at the lore and got totally burnt out on it. <laughs> you know what? I just I, all I'm saying is just you wait and see. Like tomorrow, they're gonna drop a, a four-hour Murdoch's Pirate Radio, and then, then then they're gonna announce Rise of the Yogurt Part Two, documenting Phase Three and Four. <laughs> no, but uh, but uh, legit, I hope that we're done with the Gorillas characters until the TV show. Then I'm welcoming them back into my life. Yeah. Friendship with Jamie Hewlett over. Damon Auburn, come back over here. Or perhaps uh, Carrie Levy. Perhaps Carrie Levy yeah. is really yeah. Because we're uh, we're talking about bananas. Uh, his film documentary on the band. The amazing two thousand and eight uh, documentary, which 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 is the the living document of the inception of the Gorillas Project and the behind the scenes events of, of Phase One and Phase Two. Uh, Trevor, do you, is this the second time you've seen Bananas, or have you seen it several times over the years? I think this might be the third time I've seen Bananas. I actually, um, I waited a while to check this out, though. I actually didn't watch for the first time until 2014, maybe. Wow. So so yeah. fairly recent. What was it like going back this time, Trevor? Um, it wasn't, you know, as like spellbounding as it was originally, but it's always fun to take a closer look into the embryonic stages of gorillas and, you know, how they would progress to, I guess, you know, what would be the height of their popularity with Phase 2. I this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've seen Bananas, and I'd seen it within the last since starting this podcast. I'd already watched it once, so <laughs> this is me going back to it second time recently. And I think that I might be promoting it to like a a, a sick day standard movie for myself. I find this movie kind of like wall to wall, really engaging, funny, and great to watch. I loved it going back. Even even this soon after my last viewing, I think it is surprisingly rewatchable for a music documentary. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's smart that it's uh, that it's done mise en scène. That there's not a lot of uh, you know bookending, or they didn't hire some BBC pre- presenter to come in and say, and now Damon and Jamie are at the Music Video Awards or whatever. You know, no, it's very intimate. Yeah, like it, you can tell that it's from inside the band. The edit's really smart too. The edit is very smart in that it like gives you just as much establishment context as you kind of need to move forward. And it even flows through little arcs too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's very intelligently put together, and and like you said, extremely intimate. The kind of intimacy you get, I guess, when you're when the filmmaker documenting your pro- the project is like a friend of both of the collaborators. So this is kind of the anti charts of darkness for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we even get a little bit of that shoot. We'll get to it. But they they do show yeah. us a little bit of the Shards of Darkness shoot. If you've not 
track down bananas. Like, go buy that DVD. And you know what? We're not really going to have time today, Trevor, to get into the supplemental materials of bananas. Uh, right. But I, I'm putting, a, I'm putting a flag in that right now because there's basically another bananas worth of bonus features. Uh, a little bit, right? Some of them are pretty long, and some of them are really amazing. So I'm just going to say down the road, expect you know, uh, welcome back to bananas, you know, special feature edition episode. Because that stuff is definitely worth a look. We'll reach for that DVD again on a rainy day. Yes, yes. Put it. it that happens before our episode about Marky Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but but this one's going to be amazing. We've got so much to talk about, Trevor. Let's get into it. Let's start talking about this movie, huh? Let's start talking about bananas. I love the way this film opens. Okay, you get Jamie Hewlett laid out in the back of a car, super hungover, driving through a cemetery. While Hip Albatross plays in the background, yeah, and and then him and then him and Damon immediately start bickering like a married couple. It's, they are such an old married couple, like through this whole movie. If you if you're a girlless fan who doesn't like ship Damon and Jamie, have you seen Bananas? Good question, because boy, that dynamic there's so, there's so much there's everything. It's there's a lot here. Yeah, yeah, the dynamic and and so it all comes down to that Jamie was kind of like out super late drinking and drugging. And Damon went to bed early because he's a good boy, and so they're bickering about it. It's very cute, and uh, we've already got the uh, like two D and Murdoch dynamic, and that little that little like uh, groan that that Damon does in Hip Albatross is like this perfect kind of sonic background for Jamie Hewlett's Hangover. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, the guitar. Yeah, everything about this opening scene is perfect. I love it. And then the cold open continues. Uh, to show us Damon and Jamie on the radio having that kind of like really boring boilerplate conversation about yeah. why they decided to they start talk about, the cartoon band. They say American Idol is a sickness and they need to find a cure for that. Can you imagine how how many how many versions of that conversation do you think Carrie Levy had filmed by the end of making this documentary? I can't imagine, but I think something interesting. Um, I believe. Damon Auburn says he knows the guy who started American Idol. Does that does like that technically mean Simon Cowell? It could mean it might be some other producer dude behind the scenes. But I, I wrote down the quote because it's really funny. He goes, "Yeah, he goes. I know the guy who invented American Idol. He's got so much money, and all it's given him is a slight weight problem, very orange skin, and really bad leather trousers." And how ironic that 17 years later, gorillas would still be battling with somebody with a slight weight problem and very orange skin, right? I know. It's very interesting, very right? Very interesting. Do you think that Donald Trump uh, owns some lederhosen? I mean, he is sort of a he's sort of a Nazi sympathizer, so it would make sense. Apparently, he gets into, like, really freaky stuff in Russia, too. I know, right? Leather, probably, he probably has, like, a scary gimp mask, for all I know. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. And then we have the opening titles, which is uh, M1A1 kind of overshots of different videos from gorillas and, and occasional little sound bites from, from Damon and Jamie. Um, they make you listen to M1A1 a lot in this movie. I think M1A1 gets three plays, Punk gets two. So there's a, Carrie clearly gravitates towards certain tunes, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Then we get into like the first big set piece of the movie, Trevor, which is Jamie kind of giving Carrie a tour of the early gorillas artwork. Right. This, there's some interesting stuff here that, like, if you blink, you'll miss it. Absolutely. Like, the ghost rapper initially looked exactly like Russell. Crazy, right? And yeah. then And then he, he, uh, he, does, he famously says, they've got a gorilla in the band who plays the bongos. So that was a thing happening at that point. Do you think if that uh, character had stuck, uh, the gorilla would have been the one killed off in the El Manana video? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> and they did it, like, super serious, like a single yeah. tear rolled down its face. And then the fandom is like, they, what happened to Chim Chim? 
So then he then he flips to that uh, photo of Russell showing off the white power tattoo, and they immediately cut away from it. I know it's like the big it's a big conspiracy to hide <laughs> the Peckerwood affiliation. And of course, we got a little uh, shout out to uh, Paula Cracker in there. Got a little Paula Cracker shout out. Well, Paula Cracker shout out. What about? Okay, I want to talk about. I have a lot of notes about this one shot where he goes. Here's the first ever picture of gorillas. Uh, it's a three piece, and Trevor, they look so douchey. They look so douchey. I, I paused it and I just frantically took notes. Uh, I particularly remember how uh, douchey 2D looks here. They all look really douchey. Okay, so it's it's not like a high res scan, okay? Because, like, I think Kerry was filming, I don't think he was filming digital. I think he was on some kind of like low grain film or something, but you can still make it out. So it's all, I believe everybody is white, even though there is like a proto Russell, I believe he's supposed to be a white dude. He's a little Um, smaller too, isn't he? He is. So the front man, the 2D character, he's wearing a long sleeve shirt underneath a short sleeve shirt, which is a, that was such a, a late nineties thing that happened. Uh, His short sleeve shirt has like the Atari logo on it. And it says Atari Safari. Um, and he's wearing he's wearing a massive belt buckle, and his haircut is like it's raw douche. It's so bad. And then uh, and then you got your proto Russell again, again with the with the long sleeve shirt underneath the short sleeve. It was a look they were going for it and established aesthetic. <laughs> Maybe that was in the original conversation. Like we got to take down this manufactured pop, and we got to wear two t shirts while we do it. <laughs> Anyway, Russell has like an assault rifle on it, and and it says uh, King Pin. And then there's uh, Trevor. Then there's Proto Murdoch. So Proto Murdoch has like a total baby face. He looks like he looks like he could be the bad boy in NSYNC for sure. He's wearing like a Quaker hat, you know, like the Quaker oatmeal guy wears. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's shirtless, and he has suspenders on. I I just want to punch all three of them right in their dumb faces. <laughs> And there's the uh, bongo playing gorilla, right? And then there's the bongo playing gorilla, but not in that picture. That was after. It shows that oh, okay, after. Okay, okay. At this point, it was a three piece with just with just douchey white dudes in it. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a really cute moment at the end of this section, Trevor, where Jamie is describing 2D, and he goes, "He's also one of these people who, no matter how many times you try to tell him, he do- it doesn't really register." And then like Damon's sitting next to him on the couch and looking at something else. It's so good. It's so good. And so Jamie starts starts pointing at David so the camera can see that he's doing it. He's like, in one ear, out the other. He's pointing at him. David has no idea. No it's idea. so good. <laughs> I love that. Like, um, There's some interesting stuff here about early Murdoch. First of all, listening to Jamie do the, it's his band, is like so cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it sounds like he's showing you this band that he just, it, it is, but it sounds like he's a 10-year-old showing you a band that he just drew. Pure Jamie Hewlett. And then um, he, he gives some early Murdoch lore. He says that he's jealous about uh, not being good-looking enough to be the lead singer. Right. Yes. And then, and then he also says that 2D looks up to Murdoch, and he says he looks to Murdoch like his savior, like his big brother. So interesting stuff that really wouldn't get developed there. The the adorability of Jamie's sort of breathless retelling of early Gorillaz lore is is really helped by the fact that he sounds so young in this footage, Trevor. Yeah, mm-hmm. they both like, do. His voice sounds so much higher. It's very cute. It's very adorable. And then this is where we get Damon attempting to flip the cigarette into his mouth, uh, attempt number one. Right. This would. This is what becomes kind of the uh, almost the driving arc of the entire movie. I mean, it's certainly a framing device, and perhaps yeah. it has an even deeper meaning. <laughs> 
but I don't know where that is. That might actually be in their apartment together, actually. God, can you can you imagine those early days of them living together? I mean, I feel like you get a few shots of it in in this movie, and uh, and it looks like quite a. It looks like it could be a room in Kong Studios, kind of. It is. It's yeah, like an almost. insane dump of art and clutter for sure. You gotta you gotta wonder now how much of uh, the rooms in. Kong Studios, Jamie, actually based on their own living space. Dude, early on in this movie, it's like back to back to back, like big, memorable set pieces, because we go straight into the recording of punk after this. Right, but before we go there, we actually get this little sound clip uh, from Jamie where he's already really salty about having to do like the what he describes as the dumpy work. Oh, While Damon yeah. gets to go like do record songs and everybody's like, oh, look what he's doing. It's like really interesting that the seed of this was already like so planted in these early stages. Well, that that is one of the unfair things, right? Is that like Damon can go with his iPad and, and write a little tune, and everybody's like, "Good job!" But but Jamie's yeah. got to like slave over an animator's <laughs> table for for hours and hours. Yeah, and just hours. in a dark little room. It's interesting. I mean, like you take a look at those two sides, and how could something like not develop between them? You know, true. If nothing else, motion capture is at least like the great equalizer of this partnership of allowing Jamie to do much more immediate things. Definitely, yeah, a little bit. But then we get to the then we get to the punk recording scene. So good. Like this is magical. So good. Yeah, you get to see Damon kind of build the song from like the ground up, recording the bass line, doing some of the claps. And then he gets into the vocal booth to do that like opening groan and like the first verse. Yeah, you get to see the actual takes that are used for those ad libs. It's really fun to watch them come out of his mouth in it's real time. Surreal to watch them come out of his mouth in real time, I think. Like seeing this was like watching somebody like write the bible it's interesting he has a special he does like a special face when he's singing the the take and it almost looks like part of his process is that he has to feel like a a cool young sexy rock star like he's making a a little bit he's making a cool sexy rock star face we also uh trevor get to see a shot of jason cox on the soundboard and tom girling up on the stacks the two men who who really can't be be undersold how much credit they they deserve for the self-titled um cool to see those two and especially funny to see because you see jason cox like throughout the documentary trevor and except for one moment he's always very stone-faced he's studious looking yes and he's like kind of deadpan you know yeah uh but you get you get i love that one shot trevor when when uh damon goes over to the oscillator to make the 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 noises in punk right mm-hmm. and he's like looking over his shoulder at jason kind of going like oh yeah yeah this is the shit look what i'm doing here this is great <laughs> i love when he keeps going it sounds fucking wicked yeah he loves it he loves the yeah. bass track at yep. one point he's like walking around the studio with an airsoft pistol that's yeah that is great <laughs> shooting it in time with the claps really good he's, looks looks truly unhinged it's very funny and this is also where we got like you know confirmed that it's him who thinks you've always have to uh, you always have to have a nasty track on your album yeah definitely he you hear him espouse this philosophy you also get to see him hump uh, uh an electric guitar in service of finding weird noises to put during the second verse of, of punk that's also a really cool shot yeah that's great and and uh dan nakamura shows up uh and and junior dan you see him too and then damon says uh what we've got here is an la hip-hop producer an old school jamaican dub bassist and a twat from leighton stone (laughs) that's like that's the beauty of gorillas it's great they also said junior dan kind of just wandered into the studio right yeah i wonder how that was how that worked out he didn't have studio 13 at this point i don't know what that space is that he's using 
But he does say he got 75% of the way through the album before he hired Dan Nakamura. Right. So, and we actually see them doing like uh, some like live drum uh, track recordings too, right? That I guess just wouldn't make it into the final cut. Yeah. It sounded like it might have been, I don't know what it was. It was like an early drum track for a song that is on there, but I can't remember what it is. But yeah, that's interesting. I, I would really love to know more about like Dan Nakamura's place in this and how things ended up because you remember they took some shots at him in Ogre. And I just, I'm very curious why, you know? Yeah, I would love to know how that relationship kind of resolved. Me too. Me too. Someday, someday when we get one or the other on the podcast, we'll learn the truth, Trevor. Dan, come be on the show. Come be on the show. And then uh, uh, I did want to point out that every now and then, uh, Jamie Hewlett has an interesting t-shirt collection, which makes sense, right? Because he draws interesting t-shirts. Right. This is one of my favorites. He's wearing like a basketball jersey, but it says Epcot Center on it. (laughs) (laughs) Number 33. He serves looks. He would totally draw a shirt like that into a gorilla's picture for sure. We get to see Jamie and Damon hike their pants up to like 2D level. Foreshadowing. Yeah, he's like riding the elevator up to sign a bunch of legal documents. Uh, What was going on here? What were they stuffing into their shirts and stuff like that? I don't know. I think think the idea was that they were somewhat uncomfortable with... I think that this is footage of them incorporating gorillas. I think that that was like them with EMI and their attorneys like creating the official gorillas partnership right but why the entrance because i think that they're slightly out of element and uncomfortable um, in that element and whenever that happens they like to fuck around and be you know impish that's what they like to do impish is a good word for jamie hewlett (laughs) and certainly what their sense of humor is like together you know (laughs) like this happens a few times where they're they're like in a situation that clearly is not their favorite situation and so they just start goofing off you know coping mechanisms coping mechanism that's what i mean yeah and uh and you know they they do their handshake deal with the devil this is truly the moment when murdoch sells the soul of the devil is when they when they create the llc that's a nice parallel <laughs> yeah uh and then jamie announces that he has two weeks to animate the tomorrow comes today video right the pressure is immediately <laughs> on him yeah, that's fucking insane, right? He's like, and I think Carrie is like, is that enough time? And then Jamie just laughs at him. Yeah. Like, no, it's not. They do they do a pretty good job making uh, 2D's mouth move, though. I know. Him and Pete Candle, and I think working alone. I don't think anybody else was at Zombie Flesh Eaters at that point. You got to have that proof of concept. Just just making that mouth move. But but apparently, while he was working on it, he already knew that, that Clint Eastwood was going to be the real single and was going to have like a full budget and stuff. Right, yeah. First, you got to pay your dues, though. There's we we get a little bit of version one uh, lore here, Trevor, where where Jamie says that uh, that Russell can summon living musicians too, and that Dell is not a ghost; that he's alive. But since he's afraid of flying, Russell has to summon him using his power. That is not how I took that scene. Oh, how did you take that scene? I I thought that they were talking about how they came up with the whole ghost thing as a way to kind of parallel. Dell being afraid of flying and not getting there. I thought he said that he can summon any dead musician. So, like, he could at one point be working with, like, Tupac. He said, yeah, he does say someday he could work with Tupac, but I'm pretty sure in that scene he says he can summon dead ones, but also living ones. I'm pretty sure. And he says Dell Dell is alive, but since he's afraid of flying, he has to summon him. I think that's what he says. Hey, I might be wrong. Uh, That's our other podcast. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> then we move into a really amazing set piece. Right. This is the Latin Simone um, recording session, right? Yeah. Abraham Ferrer comes to record Latin Simone. Um, you've got little Missy Albarn on Damon's lap. Did you catch that? 
Yeah, this is a powerful scene. It is the way it is like framed and set up. It really feels like the almost like the centerpiece for the first half of the movie. Do you think that Missy Albarn in that moment when she was a baby looking at Ibrahim Ferrer is like, I'm going to I'm going to get someone cool in the studio like daily. <laughs> that is eventually what she would do. Yeah. Ibrahim, by the way, does look cool as fuck in this. He's like a, he's an, an older human man. He, he looks like he spent his lifetime in the sun. He's like 73, right? For sure, and when yeah. he, and he, even when he's just like sitting on the couch with Damon, like learning the material and kind of tossing off uh, his his singing, his voice just sounds amazing, amazing. He's wearing that shirt too with like the uh, cherries on the back. Yeah, so cool, so cool. And then and then they actually get in the booth with him, and it's like up close and personal, you know. Yeah, and I, I, and again, in terms of arcs, I really like how this uh, how this scene flows like a little like he records the first verse damon isn't really sure how to like bridge the first verse into the second one and decides he like wants two tracks and then like you see them playing back the second verse after they nail it to them and damon just kind of extends his arm as like ibrahim's voice takes off and it's like it is a real beautiful moment it's really cool and and ibrahim who's been kind of straight faced up to that point like starts to laugh and have fun at that moment and seems to be really it's great really happy with the track and i don't know yeah that's this this is really cool it's a powerful scene i'm so glad it's in the scene in the movie and it would and it would be just as powerful if if ibrahim was still with us but the fact that we lost him kind of makes this really really special you know right and this is some of the same footage they played uh during the manchester and harlem shows right when they performed and Simone in the encore. Yeah, I think I think uh, the live visual actually has more of this session in it than the movie does. Uh, yeah, I think it might be the whole thing. Pretty sure that I think Carrie was in the booth with him for the whole session. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I think that's the most compelling scene uh, in the movie from like a musical standpoint. What follows next is my favorite from the kind of <laughs> character standpoint. This is really great. So this is Jamie Hewlett, Damon Albarn, and Remy Kabaka in a room together, and they're about to attempt the first in-character Gorillas interview. <laughs> right. Remy, of course, will be playing Russell. Damon will be playing 2D, and Jamie yeah. will be Murdoch. And he does Murdoch does like a or Jamie does like a really frightening Murdoch <laughs> voice, but like really dead on too. Like he yeah. he already has figured out who this Murdoch character is. For sure, Remy isn't really quite there with Russell yet, and Damon is absolutely he has no he wants no part in this. He thinks it's a terrible idea. Like right from the start, you can see exactly where this is going. Like yeah. Jamie, Jamie is ready to to go to bat a hundred percent. Damon is pacing back and forth. He's so nervous about and, what and he's Ravi about to do. Russell is just sitting in the corner of the room. And even though even though the attitude and the voice aren't there, Remy definitely takes a good swing. He's like he's like, who the fuck is comparing us to a boy band? And yeah, like, he, he's like he's definitely on the same page. He doesn't have the voice figured out yet, but he. He gets the you know core of the project for sure, and I love when Damon finally cracks and decides to call the whole thing off. He goes, "Man, there's this dude Damon Alvin coming in here. He wants to take the phone." <laughs> so Remy, Remy, Trevor is one of two figures who we will meet in Phase One who are not part of the partnership, who are still involved with the project to this day, and we're going to meet the the next one a little later when we start touring. But it's very cool to see Remy here and how Graham Flory is and and how. His role in the band has only grown over the years. Right, from being just a you know a voice actor to a member of the production team. Yeah, exactly. So basically, here's how the scene plays out. Uh, Remy is doing Russell, and then Damon is nervously hovering over him, and then he grabs he grabs the phone, and then he just breaks the illusion entirely. 
Right, and he kind of almost starts apologizing. <clears throat> well, so this is early, but you can kind of see what we're trying to do. He's going, and then and then they have this little back and forth, which I, I kind of I wrote out, right? So, sure. so uh, Jamie says, you totally fucking blew that. It was going fine, but you couldn't think of anything to say as 2D, so you bailed. And then uh, Jamie goes, Remy's fine, and I think we should get Nelson, because he was really good at 2D. And then Damien goes, and Phil Carnwell would be great. And then Jamie says, I'm sorry, I said you blew it. You didn't. They are married. <laughs> They're such a married couple. It's and then so Damien goes, David goes, Americans like you to be nice. They want you to explain it clearly. They have a real problem with English people to start off with. <laughs> I also have this written out word for word in my notes. I spent years not explaining myself and just expecting Americans to get it, but they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically, that's a very cute scene because we see right off the bat that Damon, he really can have no part with the fake uh, front of the band. He just. Right, yeah. He's not confident doing it. And, and, and then he even it, gets expounded on later. For sure. And, and it's so funny that in that moment, they toss out the names of the other two people who will play the rest of the band. Like, mm-hmm. it's it just like from them agreeing at the end of that, that tribulation that they need uh, uh, professional voice actors, they immediately have the two in mind, which, I th- which is very funny. That's not all they need, though. They also need uh, somebody to tell this wily, wily tale that they uh, that they want to tell with these characters. Oh, that's true. We do see Cass Brown, our prodigal son, our scribe, the mouthpiece of Jehovah. In the backdrop of meeting Cass Brown, Damon for a second time attempts to flip a cigarette into his mouth and fails to do so. Trevor, he's still at it. I have a discussion <laughs> question for you. Let's hear it. Who is a more sympathetic character in the gorilla story? Cass Brown or 2D? That's a really good question because Cass Brown, he gets off some really good lines in this documentary, Trevor. And he he couldn't have had any idea what he was signing up for, right? No, no. And, you know, it's interesting because I definitely also brought the baggage of having just had to trudge through all of the gorilla's lore into every moment Cash Brown was on screen in this, like thinking, oh, you poor fuck. You right? poor fuck. You don't like, know what's going to happen it's, to you. He almost, he's almost more gorillas than Jamie Hewlett. Like, <laughs> in a almost, way, right? it's like he <laughs> definitely deserves to be that, like, a third name in gorillas. He has contributed so much to the project. He has suffered. He's bled for this band. I agree, and I don't begrudge him at all for getting out for Phase 4. I don't begrudge him no one way. second no for being way. like, I'm, you boys have fun with that. I'm glad he's okay. <laughs> I'm glad he's okay. Is anybody taking care of Cass Brown? Good question. <laughs> Although, I love this one moment. I love this moment where they're, they're Jamie and Cass are kind of sniping about the voice actors and how they're doing, right? Uh, because the... the the fact remains that, like, there's two professional vocal actors and then two of their friends in, in the vocal cast. Right. So they're talking about Remy, and they're saying, well, you know, Remy slips in and out of the accent, but that's okay, because Russell's been in, in London for long enough that his accent's probably a little weird. And then Jamie's like, and I don't know about Nelson. I mean, one minute he's 2D, and the next minute, I don't know. And then Cass goes, he's John Inman. And then I had to go Wikipedia that. And sure enough, Trevor, it's an obscure 1960s British television personality because Cass Brown cannot turn it off. He has to reference them. I love him. I love him. (laughs) Cass Brown. God bless you, Cass Brown. God bless you, Cass Brown. Anyway, that's a great scene. And and also here, Trevor, we get to see Nelson DeFrida's sound check by by delivering a dirty limerick. Right, yeah, which is which is very gorillas. 
It's very gorillas. Uh, and uh, we got Phil. We see Phil Cornwall and Nelson DeFridis recording the eel. We actually see like Carrie kind of edits the two shots of their sessions together, so you get to kind of like see the the skit without the animation. Just seeing those two guys do their thing, you know. Which, to credit the animated side of the project, seeing them record these uh, these uh, this dialogue is almost as surreal for me as seeing Damon recording punk. It's very weird, isn't it? It's very weird. Yeah. And then I, I love that little shot of Jamie and Phil Cornwall talking about Murdoch noises. Right? Like, talk about foreshadowing. Like, do you think they had any idea to what extent they'd eventually play this up? To how synonymous with Murdoch's character this whole noise concept would become? Right? Because, like, there's even a moment, I don't even know exactly how to articulate this, but there's a moment where, like, Phil Cornwall does one, he goes like, ah, ah, right? And then Jamie goes, ah, 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 right? He does the multi-step one. It's so good. And I almost think <sighs> that maybe in that moment, like, that's when that idea came up. Like, Jamie came up with the idea of the of the multiple syllabic Murdoch grunt, you know? Like, that's in my head. I wonder if that's the first time that it happened. At any rate, it's a really prophetic scene. <laughs> oh, God. What about the amazing shot of Tom Gerling picking up the phone and saying, David, it's the police. They want you to stop playing the fucking flute. <laughs> right. During the uh, Rock the House. Um, during the Rock the House recording, right? And this kind of kicks off a, a running a running theme, Trevor, in this documentary of David Albarn, maybe the most annoying person on the planet, maybe the oh, most yeah. obnoxious person who's yeah, ever because lived. They, this is where we get to see some of the filming of uh, Charts of Darkness, right? And they're sitting uh, in the scene. <laughs> they're sitting in the scene that would uh, be the psychiatrist interviewing them. And Damon is playing his banjo, and he's like, sometimes I just want to play a banjo. He's like, you couldn't have told me a week ago when we were playing this that you'd be playing a banjo? He's like, I just get in the mood to play a banjo. And it's, yeah. <laughs> he says, I told you that I'd have creative ideas on the day. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I really enjoy it. I love these boys. He's like a 12-year-old boy 90% of the time. It's very funny. <laughs> Oh, how obnoxious. Can you just imagine you have like a sound crew there and they're like, oh, apparently there's a banjo in this scene. <laughs> really interesting as well. We get a very quick shot of Jamie saying, I can smell them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a thing, too. We do get that. Who was that? Who was that, though? I don't know. It's a good question. It, it, it almost looks like it maybe could have been cast and like heavy makeup. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's when I wrote down, they're an old gay married couple. <laughs> Who we learn now wear each other's clothes? Yeah, that's, they, <laughs> apparently, when they look together. They wear together, each other's pants. <laughs> they just wore each other's pants. <laughs> oh, it's so good. God bless Carrie Lovey for giving us this window. Okay, so then we move into rehearsals for the phase one gigs, Trevor. Right. Here's where we meet Mike Smith, still in Gorillas, Phase 4, going strong. On keyboards, right? Keyboards, uh, Mike Smith. So that, that means we've got Remy, we've got Mike Smith. Nobody else but Jamie and Damon have been involved in all four phases. You know what? Now that I think of it, there might be somebody on the, on the video production side of things. Like I think Seb Monk might still be editing Gorillas videos now that I think of it, Trevor. Yeah, that's possible. Seb Monk, come on the show, Seb Monk. 
But okay, so we got some cool stuff here. We Simon Cass joins the live band to play guitar. I believe Cass is playing drums. Is that right? Cass is, is yep, the live yeah. drummer phase one. Right from the get go, he was on the he was on the kit. You get a little shot of the band playing rehash in the rehearsal space, Trevor, and they sound amazing. Is this when they talk about putting the radio hat on a uh, Miho Tori? Yeah, and they want to they want to have her hold a uh, Les Paul that's not plugged in, so she looks like Miho in silhouette. They sound just banging like they sound really yeah. really good in that in that clip uh david also attempts to flip a cigarette into his mouth for the third time guess what he fails to succeed he doesn't do it still not there but um it was damon who came up with the radio hat idea right is it, it I, I don't know are you gathering that from this i think it was i mean jamie wouldn't have been there at the practice so i think this is like one of the only times damon has ever really shown like interest in incorporating the animated characters into the performance i wonder if um i wonder if if he had seen like a jamie sketch of that and it really like stuck with him or something it's possible and was like i want that to be i don't know yeah that's a, that's a good point though i don't think i don't think jamie is seen in that whole sequence there so that probably did come from damon yeah it wouldn't make sense for jamie to be there we do see jamie though kind of explaining the performance behind the screen idea and how even then, he says, it's just because what I see in my head, like technology isn't there to do it yet, he says. And 17 years later, it's, it's, it's maybe, still not. <laughs> maybe it's coming, maybe. Maybe, maybe. I'm still waiting for the hologram, as Damon said. And then we get a shot of them playing a proper Phase 1 gig, and man, it looks just miserable for the crowd, Trevor. <laughs> like, it looks awful. Like, you get a, you get a little shot of the of the kind of the venue lights coming up you know the floor lights coming up right and it's and everybody just kind of looks like like fuck like that what didn't feel like a real concert i just went to <laughs> i mean they looked like they were getting in, getting into it though i mean you can see people like crowd surfing during five four which is ridiculous to me that is very silly i, I, like, that's I ridiculous maybe if maybe if jenny bath crowd surfed while she was singing five four i could see it right <laughs> but i don't but. know <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we do get a we do get a, sh a shot of uh, Life MC and Cy Philly dancing backstage during Fly Life Cypher Clint Eastwood. Come be on the show, guys. Talk about talk about those live dates he did. <laughs> Let's hear about it. I want to hear about uh, Leeds and Paris. I think you guys did one there. They didn't go on the U.S. tour, though, right? I don't remember Trevor because I didn't. Maybe was wasn't one of the live nine one ones that they did in in America. Oh, that's yeah. It might be. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Damon also right back to back. We get cigarette flip attempt number four, and and this time Carrie even chimes in from behind the camera and says, "You won't do it. You won't do it." And then he puts his arm over Remy Kabaka's shoulder so that he try to like try to look cool while he does it, but it just bounces right off of his lips. It's not happening. We see Damon do a bunch of phoner interviews from Miami, and at one point he tries to make like a, a pop noise with his cheek, Trevor, but he just winds up just drooling all over his shirt. Right. Classic 2D. <laughs> I think you also see him, doesn't he accidentally hang up on somebody? Which would, you know, that's great foreshadowing to uh, what would inspire your, um, your, your favorite gorilla song. My very favorite gorillas cut. Maybe after yeah. this one, he wrote film music or something. Possibly. <laughs> Maybe Phoner sounds like it does because he was so angry from doing phone interviews all day. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's always been very transparent about how much he hates doing interviews. 
So then we, speaking of them having to do things they hate to do, Trevor, the next kind of big set piece of the film is uh, them going to the VMAs. Right. To quote Jamie Hewlett, I'm in hell. <laughs> so then there's a whole, there's like a running thing about Justin Timberland. Right. Jamie has a great Justin Timberlake impression. He goes, my name's Timberlake and my trousers fit me fine. So yeah, they talk about how they tried to go in the back door, but they made them walk on the red carpet, which was embarrassing because nobody... Knew who Nobody they were. knows who they are. And at one point, everybody started clapping, and they just realized they were walking behind Destiny's Child. And this is also where, where Jamie decides to change his name to Jay Weasel. <laughs> right, yeah. And they even say it during the radio interview. interview. <laughs> yeah, you see him on, on uh, 106.7 FM in New York City. He goes, we got Dave in here, uh, Dan the Automator, and we got Jay Weasel. <laughs> Jay Weasel. <laughs> so good. Damon moons the camera, yep. uh, of course, and then they don't win a VMA. <laughs> No. And they are noticeably a little salty about it. Yeah, they, they seem like that was, I didn't care about this award until I was forced to come here, and now I have nothing to show for it. You yeah. Know? And then the um, Gorillaz American tour begins. No, no, no. Uh, before the North American gigs, we have the whole 911 sessions, Trevor. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Um, this is another really, really compelling uh, section of the film, in my opinion. Uh, so you got D12 in the studio. We, as you all know, it's the day after the September 11th attack. You have Damon talking about the song on like another phone interview and saying, uh, well, you know, it's a peaceful statement. And I'm like, did you listen to your song? Are you sure? You sure about that? Uh, I did love the shot of, of <clears throat> D12 member, uh, I think it's Denon Porter, who's on the console. And he's like, tighten up that snare sound. And, and he's very, you know, he's very hands-on with mm -hmm. the mixing mm -hmm. of, of the D12 beat. That's very cool. Right. And then there's that great shot of uh, Proof going into that very deep piece of uh, hip-hop trivia, right? Do you remember yeah. exactly what he talks about? I do, I do. So he starts, he's singing, boom, 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 boom. And he's like, you know what that beat is? And then Carrie doesn't say anything. He goes, nah, you don't know what that is. And he goes, in the movie Crush Groove, before the fat boys sing All You Can Eat, they play that beat when they're coming out of the subway station. And then later, Del the Funky Homo Sapiens sampled that beat for a song. All right, discussion question. <laughs> if you put um, Cass Brown and Proof from D12 in a room together, whose head do you think would explode first? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. They're kind of kindred spirits, I think, because they're both clearly deeply nerds about the right. things that they care about. You know, about. They, would just, they would just keep throwing out <laughs> trivia and their brains would have to be racing to kind of like figure out what he just said and like find one to trumpet and connect it to it. And eventually somebody's like, you know, circuits are just going to fry. It would be like when Mr. Robot plays chess with himself and it's just a stalemate every time. You exactly. Know? Yeah. <laughs> this is again, really cool to see proof. He just seems like so vital and fun and smart and talented. And uh, yeah, it's just a fucking bummer that that dude, got killed you know yeah yeah um but he but he he seems very like in the spirit of gorillas in that whole section you know like he's not he's not being super reverent he's acting like jamie and damon act when they're when they're dicking around behind the scenes you know what i mean right it's it's great that we have this footage of him and and i stand by the fact that i think proofs D, I think Proof's verse in 911 is really good. Like, especially it, yeah, for it's like, cool to watch him uh, perform it too. He does that cool thing with his fingers. Yeah, exactly. And, and considering like it's the day after this this attack, like he has a surprising amount of clarity in that verse too. Like, I don't know, man. I think that that dude would have gone on to some really big, impressive things if if it, if things had gone a different way. You know, it feels like reactionary, but not too reactionary. 
Yeah, exactly. And then you've got the shot, Trevor, of Damon explaining rap music to Terry Hall. Right. <laughs> I wrote it down because it's kind of amazing. It's like two already, it's one very old white man and one like on his way to being an old white man. Like, let me tell you what this rap music is about. And he goes, he goes, the whole point of rap, I presume, is to express feelings that people are having that not necessarily you're having. And they're all about that sort of thing. They're pretty kind of sort of revolting on occasion. <laughs> they're on the Eminem tip with that, the psyche of the country. <laughs> How weird is it hearing Damon Auburn say they're on the Eminem tip with that? <laughs> it's very weird. It's very really weird. weird. I'm assuming he's trying to explain to, to Terry Hall why Bizarre is talking about <laughs> yes, raping an old I, woman. <laughs> that is immediately <laughs> what I thought of. Like, that's it's like it's almost like a scene uh, akin to the later one where uh, the woman is asking him about the uh, I need a gun line. Uh, do you think that that Carrie cut before Terry Hall said, uh, "Oh well, I don't care about the lyrics of this song. Just don't call me Scarface." <laughs> Uh, but he does say, like, we need more. We need to have more Arabic uh, musicians and sounds on our on Gorillaz albums. That it's important. And I think to this point now, we've got we've got certainly the White Flag uh, Arabic uh, uh, Symphony Orchestra. Uh, we've got the Faya Yunan Special of Busted in Blue. He's he's made good on that promise. I'd say to, to yeah, it's something he would always try and incorporate into his work. I think. Yeah, I think I think that, that those weren't that, that don't seem to have been empty words. He seems no, to have no. stuck to that promise. Uh, then they play the first North American gig. Now, Junior Dan does get arrested. Is that what happened? What like what's the story here? So they're they're kind of like intentionally vague with the edit, but based on just piecing it together from this footage plus the story of Murdoch Nichols getting arrested when they landed uh, in in Toronto to play that gig and then having to <clears throat> replace him with that other bassist, um, which is the same name of the bassist who actually replaced uh, uh, Junior Dan on that gig after he got arrested. That's just what I'm kind of piecing together is that like when they landed, maybe Junior Dan had some kind of super old warrant for possession or something like that, and they had to work around it for a gig or two is, is what I assume is happening there. Right. That's, I don't know. That's, I, I was completely unfamiliar with this part of the gorilla story. Like I totally forgot about this. <laughs> but then there's a really great exchange between Cass Brown and David where Cass goes, we don't have a fucking bass player. And then David goes, you never know. It might sound really cool. Yeah, maybe it'll sound cool. Maybe it'll sound cool. <laughs> that's a very optimistic take. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, and then you do get a little bit of the rehearsal, and then <laughs> Damon going, "How the fuck am I supposed to sing and play at the same time?" <laughs> so I think Damon Alburn dressed in a white windbreaker and a wool cap, vomiting into a trash can before girls go on stage, is probably the best look in this movie. Oh man, and and Carrie, to his credit, like frames it perfectly. Yes, he like it's uh, it's a beautiful shot. You've got Damon on the right side of the frame vomiting into the trash can, and then on the left side of the frame, you've got people down at the end of the hall, like, looking, wondering what's going on, you know, down there. And Damon just keeps throwing up. Like, it just keeps happening. He, he clearly has a very weak tummy slash does heroin, and <laughs> so, so it's, it's a recurring situation that he finds himself in backstage before these shows, uh, but... but it, the edit also, Trevor, is so perfect because you jump straight from that shot of him throwing up to like him in like this sweaty fugue state performing man research backstage. Like 
jumping up and down, holding his throat, because I'm sure his vocal cords are totally fried, you know? Yeah, if there is a Damon Albarn Fugue State song on the self-titled, it is definitely Man Research. It's a very, very compelling piece of footage. Like, I'm sure he has to just leave his body in order to get those vocals out of himself. For sure. I wonder how many of our listeners have never seen Bananas before, because I'm just feeling like this is so important that you guys track this thing down, you know? It's on YouTube, right? Yeah, the whole thing, I think, is on YouTube. Uh, uh, Go watch so it, guys. They're, they're not trying to keep you from it. Go find it. Damon says he doesn't want to do any more interviews and that like the whole point of having this, this virtual band side of things is that he shouldn't have to anymore. Right. This is really where we see things start to kind of beginning to splinter. It's definitely we've entered like a darker quadrant of the journey, for sure. Yeah, D- Damon Albert says he's uh, more interested in the music than anything else. There are still fucking bollocks that he doesn't care about. And then it cuts to Jamie. And then is that Dan with him in that yeah, interview? Yeah, it's, it's Jamie and Dan. Which is a weird pair up, right? Yeah, and there's no Damon. He doesn't yeah. want to do interviews anymore. And they, and he, <laughs> Jamie kind of is like, no, Damon's not involved at all. He played the triangle on the record. Yeah, they were like, a, they ask yeah. like, so how how important is Damon in the Gorillaz, uh, Gorillaz project? <laughs> and he says, Gorillaz has nothing to do with Damon. <laughs> and they ask, really? Because we've been told that, you know, his music is... Uh, a large part of and then i think dan says uh you know when you're a megalomaniac you want to try and get in front of everything yeah exactly weird and then then jamie adds at the end of the day all he really does is play the triangle (laughs) right and then he also says he has to destroy nsync so that justin timberlake will have no choice but to join gorillas right that's that's his that's his is this also where he starts talking about lingerie in that interview yeah he asked the host um where where she shops for lingerie that seems really uncomfortable and, and chauvinist. <laughs> yes, really. Well, it's because he wants to buy some lingerie. It's because he, yeah, he kind of bails it out though in, in a funny way. So she's it's not like too like creepy in a sexual way. It's still creepy in a sexual way. But. <laughs> and then Jamie's like, "But it feels really good on your skin." And she's like, "Really? Well, how do yeah. you think it feels?" And then he goes, "Silky." <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to Damon shitting. Yeah, that's a great moment. David goes. <laughs> David goes, why is he watching me do this? And then Carrie goes, well, don't leave the door open then. And then David goes, don't fucking come and have a look at me then. Boys. <laughs> and that kind of closes the uh, closes the first half of the movie that's based on phase one, right? Well, except you're you're skipping over the fact that here is where we finally see the, the, the great towering ginger, smoggy Nelson for the first time. How could I have forgotten? He's a very important man. He's a very important part of the Gorilla Project. He's integral. And the only other thing that happens before we leave phase one is uh, uh, Damon tries to throw a cigarette in his mouth for the fifth time and fails to. No. Um, and at one point, <laughs> an interviewer says that gorillas are like Pink Floyd for the new generation. And then Damon says, well, no disrespect to Pink Floyd, but we've got tunes. Oof. Pretty good. Pretty good. What's a better, what's a better, here's a discussion question. What's like a better 1970s analog for the gorillas of the 1970s? I kind of want to say my first, my first instinct is to go for uh, Talking Heads. That's not a bad choice. I was thinking more on the, on the conceptual side of things and like maybe Kiss, maybe gorillas are the Kiss of the. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) By all intents and purposes, though, is as dickish as Damon Albarn can sometimes be, he is certainly no Gene Simmons, not a monster like Gene Simmons. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then, then we move into phase two, and we kind of kick it off with the with the full rocket sessions, right? Right. It's this really, really cool little framed little scene with like Damon, almost like you get the impression that this is like late at night in a studio. It's almost a very like, you know, pardon the pun, like a gorilla recording session. 
Yeah, and it's very cool because it's sort of like obviously Rocket was how they kicked off Phase Two uh, in releases, and and to announce that Gorillas were back, so it's just kind of fun to watch this moment happen. Also, classic Damon being intentionally obnoxious in the studio. He's got like a big, he has a big megaphone over his shoulder, and and he's like scat rapping into it. You know what I'm talking about here? As, yeah, yeah, yeah. As Jason Cox is like setting up the microphones and then and then kind of rolling his eyes and then finally David says, "It won't be too loud in my ear, will it?" And then Jason Cox says, "Yes, mate, it definitely will be." <laughs> One thing that's kind of cool though, Trevor, is when when you get that shot of Damon doing the actual verse vocals for for rocket uh he like gets right up into the camera he like grabs carrie levy's camera and like delivers his lyrics straight into it and it almost seems like he's really using carrie levy's camera to like get into the vibe and the mood the like playful fuck you attitude of of that vocal performance you know what i mean it works really well and again it's crazy just to see him recording the rocket vocals there's a little shot of James Dring sitting at the console who would take over for Tom Gerling in Phase 2, Trevor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And James Dring, when 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 Damon is, is delivering those verse vocals, he, like, there's this look on his face where he's like, oh, man, this is going to be a huge hit. He looks really excited about it. And then the second Damon starts singing the chorus, he's like, oh, no, it won't be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoyed that shot. The chorus may be arguably not the strongest part of Rocket. I'll give him that. Maybe not. Uh, we've got Damon chatting with a dude from EMI about the new direction, uh, which is where Damon says that he he's improved a lot as a musician between mm-hmm. the phases. Like he's learned to play his guitar properly. Yeah. Uh, we've got a shot of Damon holding Jamie's coffee while he rolls a joint. Great. And da- and Jamie is wearing a huge scarf in that shot. I don't know if you remember. Like it's a scarf that's bigger than Jamie Hewlett. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a great, they're greatly dressed in this movie. <laughs> they sure are. There's some outfits here. And then we see Maceo do the feel good ink laugh, Trevor. Right. We don't see Damon, you know, coaching him using the example from Charts of Darkness, unfortunately. <laughs> no, Carrie didn't catch that on camera. Yeah. But this seems like, this would be like a moment if you had never seen bananas and were trying to imagine what, what kind of things would be in bananas. Like, I think that Maceo laugh is an obvious thing that oh, you'd imagine sure. would be, yeah. right? Definitely. It's really funny to see the whole studio kind of light up behind him when he does it, you know? This is the one moment where Jason Cox, who's usually a frowning gargoyle of a man, <laughs> has has a good little chuckle watching Maceo do that big not? laugh. How could you not? Um, Just the joy that laugh brings into a room. Did you like that little back and forth between Maceo and Jamie Hewlett? That was really funny, I thought. Where what did they talk about again? Uh, he he was saying that it was easy to laugh because he found both of them funny, and and he's like, especially you. He says to Jamie, and then he's like, but you're different now. You're different in the day than you are at night. And then Jamie says, that's because I'm sober in the day. And right. Masaya goes, are you really? And then Jamie goes, no. Goes, no. <laughs> and you know who's not laughing? Damon Albarn during that moment. Interesting. I mean, it's uh, Jamie. Jamie Hewlett's alcoholism has been cited before as perhaps an instigating factor of the of the the phase three fallout. So, huh. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe little cracks are forming there. And Damon would have gotten sober by this time, right? Yeah, he was. I think at this point, he he probably was still smoking a bit of weed, but he was really taking yeah, yeah, it yeah. easy on the alcohol, and he was certainly not using heroin anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they were parting ways in a way, philosophically. Tension. Trouble in Paradise. You've got a little shot of Damon uh, and Brian Burton, a.k.a. Danger Mouse, playing ping pong. Um, right. 
Not a lot of danger mouse in this movie, though. No, there really isn't. How are you at ping pong? Are you any good at ping pong? I'm very bad at ping pong. I'm terrible at it. it it's, it's like one of those sports that, to me, feels impossible. Like That's every sport to me. Right, right. Well, I don't know. I was a football lineman, and there's like no thinking to that. That's just like... Really? Yeah, you just sort of plow into another person over and over again, you know? Huh. I wouldn't have pictured you as a jock. When I kill myself, I'm going to shoot myself in the heart so that they can study my brain. <laughs> <laughs> That was dark. Uh, <laughs> also, it felt like apropos of nothing. <laughs> but let's keep going. But let's keep going. Uh, there's okay. Here's I gotta break this up because there's a moment where Damon and Brian Burton are, are waxing philosophical about music, and then Damon goes, "It starts with Ian Dury, then Sean Ryder, and after that, everything is a composite of those two things." Damon, that's the binary. What the fuck are you talking about, Damon? <laughs> What are you talking about, Damon? No. So there's, what, there's hit me with your rhythm stick and 24-hour party people, and everybody is just copying that? Is that what Damon suggests? You know, those are the musical chromosomes. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, Trevor. I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't be my first two picks. We do see Rosie Wilson Wilson, uh, learning the, the vocal part for Dare. That's really cool. Right, and we see Damon get into a uh, recording booth, but can't remember the lyrics he's going to sing. Oh, yeah, the whole Alamanyana situation, right? Yeah. Really quickly, though, is it just me, or does Rosie Wilson have one of those faces where you're like, oh, she seems like she'd be so friendly? Yeah, I guess. I mean, she looks like a kind person. Right. She looks like like uh, somebody you'd, you'd go to and ask for help if you just got mugged or something you know yeah someone who would be there for you exactly uh but then yeah we got to talk about this whole manana situation because it's really it's really something trevor (laughs) so the whole the whole live crew the whole live instrumentation crew for demon days is in the studio and they're ready to track el manana and damon was like okay are we gonna do uh just just the first verse or and then he's like no we're setting up to do a, a full take and then he goes okay because uh, I don't, I don't have the lyrics for that. It just cuts to the band alone, and then Cass peeks his head out of the drumming booth. He peeks his ha- head out of the booth and says, uh, "What are we doing?" And then Mike Smith goes, "We're about to do a take." And then Cass says, "Shouldn't there be someone singing?" And Mike says, "Yes, but he doesn't have the lyrics." And then they just start playing, right? And then Damon walks into the room uh, and yells the uh, line from the chorus, right? Yeah, holding a clipboard, like, look, I did my homework. <laughs> you think he wrote the lyrics for El in that moment? I think he did. I think I think in the time it took for the band to start the song up and get to the first or second chorus, Damon furiously wrote the lyrics to El Manana. I believe that's what we're witnessing. I initially took that scene as him just not having the lyrics on him and not remembering what the lyrics are. I think that Damon sees lyric writing as homework, right? Which that would is why... be great if he just went off, ducked in somewhere, and wrote El Manana. Oh, that's that's a great little headcanon. I absolutely I believe that. That's what I think happened. I'm yeah. very excited about it. Yeah. Then we get the, the fire coming out session. Right. We got a lot of uh, Dennis Hopper stuff. We start with a discussion about castrophony. Right. This word that Damon says he uh, intended to make up. Now, but I don't know if I buy that. We got to ask again. Do you buy David Albarn's steadfast defense of castrophony as being an intentional Damon Albarnism? I don't. I really don't. I think he. I think he was. What do you think he was going for? Cacophony. Cacophony, and he and, right? he, and yeah. it got tangled up with catastrophe in his head. Yeah. No, I. I think 
I think this was him just kind of, I think he was kind of pulling this out of his ass. Yeah, it's like when you when you bail off a skateboard and you're like, I meant to do that, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but I do like how incensed he gets about it. Like Jamie is like, I think you should you should keep it. It's funny that you messed that word up. And he's like, No, I meant to make that word up. He looks very defensive. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you, Jamie Hewlett? Then Dennis Hopper shows up, right? And he starts uh, reading Damon's story. Oh my gosh, we get a little bit of his first take, and it is really bad. His first take, he just like catastrophe, so immense, far away in space. <laughs> <laughs> why why was it bringing darkness into their lives <laughs> so funny uh but he does settle into it and then he, he kind of gives me a vibe did you get this vibe where he, he seems like like a cool professor who might smoke weed with you sure yeah totally that checks out with dennis Hopper. right he's, he's, he's sort of like he doesn't look frail here later we'll see him again trevor before the apollo gigs and he looks less healthy to me right in that footage but but it's really funny to watch like damon listen to him tracking the the story he seems like really excited you know i mean if you wrote a short story and had dennis hopper reading it wouldn't you be (laughs) definitely (laughs) definitely but it's very cool once again just like with ibrahim fair uh and proof we get right in the booth with him it's very interesting that like proof Ibrahim Farah, Dennis Hopper, all three collaborators who would later die. Although Dennis Hopper would die after this movie came out, Trevor. This movie came out in 2008. Dennis Hopper died in 2010. But isn't it interesting that the three like big in-studio moments uh, with collaborators are, are three dead gorilla collaborators? That is really interesting, yeah. I mean, the Gorillas project has always has really become uh, kind of a curse, hasn't it, as it's been uh, going on, claiming the lives of uh, those three, Blue Reed, yeah, and, and it, I guess part of that is just because you've got an early Gen Xer who's interested in booking his idols on his record, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's bringing in these boomers, and some of them are, are lived pretty rough lives and are <laughs> not necessarily uh, at the beginning of their journey when he finds them. Um, yeah, I mean, Ike Turner's another one. We get some cool Ike Turner stuff with the uh, Apollo uh, show. Yeah, later. we do see a little bit of Ike Turner later. Um, but for now, let's see, what do we got? We've got uh, They Rap demon days damon kind of does like a cute high english thing where he's like well it's been lovely knowing all of you best of luck and goodbye it's very cute then this is this is another centerpiece in my opinion trevor we've got we've got jamie working on the dirty harry single art while he complains about the enemy (laughs) right did you look up this interview he references yeah i found it did you did you look it up i did i did i found it on um you know of course, Gorilla's unofficial. Yes, of course. That's where I found it too. They reprinted it there. I think that the moment he must be really angry about uh, was the moment about making fun of the fact that her name's Noodle and she's from Japan and she does uh, kung fu or whatever. I mean, they've got a little bit of a point, right? They ask, uh, "Do you perhaps have a French friend called Fromage who likes eating snails?" Yeah. So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing about that, Trevor. I agree that they have a point. But judging from Jamie's telling, they rewrote that answer after the fact to make them look more clever than it does. Than yeah, that's, that's what he makes it sounds like. So, so do, do you? Uh, what, what about some other questions in this interview? Like um, the Ike Turner one really jumped out at me too. Oh, I don't remember. I, <laughs> I, I kind of perused it, but but bring me into it. What do they say? I said we met your collaborator Ike Turner once, and we couldn't help thinking, okay, he is cool. 
But did he really have to beat the shit out of his wife like that? Did a similar thought ever occur to you? Like, what the fuck are you bringing that up in an interview for? Like, like is this supposed to be like some, like, gorilla sting piece? Well, yeah, here's what Jamie says. He goes, they asked the most venomous questions, and then Cass wrote really funny answers as Noodle, but they've rewritten those and their questions to make themselves look like smartasses, which they're not. They're, and then every time he says the C word, they bleep it out with the, with the honks from Highway Under Construction. That's a nice touch. No, uh, from Happy Landfill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, from Happy Landfill. That's so funny. It's really funny. Another good question is, have you ever thought, fuck me, I wish we hadn't bothered with all this, ooh, let's hide our true identities behind cartoon characters. (laughs) And then Jamie says that he doesn't want to do a cover for them for the Dirty Harry single. I think they still did. I think he was just blowing off some steam in the moment. Uh, but he literally blows off some steam when he when he draws an ejaculating penis onto the Dirty Harry cover art uh, while making fart noises with his mouth. <laughs> to be fair, they were asking questions like, now, there's a good amount of fairly pricey gorillas merchandise about. Was the bulging wallet of the saddle-sniffing fanboy obsessive a spur in forming a cartoon band with a Japanese chick in it in the first place? Okay, I'll say right now somebody please copy edit these questions they're way overwritten they're like, way overwritten answers, gorillas have never released anything musically visually or in any other medium that has been anything less than superlative yeah i uh good for cash brown for going to bat but that is a, a stupidly overwritten question <laughs> Yeah, the last one's good too. Uh, thank you, Noodle. It's been great fun, and your band's great. To which Cass replies, "You should smile when you say that, or are you afraid that your face will crack?" <laughs> that is good. I wonder. I, w- I would love to see Cass Brown's uh, draft of that interview, though. God, come on the show, Cass. Come on the show, Cass, for sure. We love you, buddy. You got to get on the show. We got to talk to you. You're a boy. Uh, we've got a Damon interview about Dirty Harry being on Demo Crazy while Jamie storyboards Dirty Harry, the the video. And listening to the clip of I Need a Gun here, it does sound more than ever like I need a gun to keep myself among. Yeah, I, I think in that in that version it for sure is. But we'll get into the debate. Yeah, we'll yeah. get into the debate, Trevor. Uh, then we move to the Dirty Harry shoot. This was really cool, the, the Dirty Harry shoot stuff, Trevor. Yeah, with Booty Brown. I the reason that this is compelling is that Jamie is kind of so in his element. He's like giving direction, he's really running the show, like especially coming straight off of him kind of like drawing a, a penis and making fart noise angrily. It's like interesting to see him really get down to business, you know? Yeah, and this is I feel like this is one of the few times in the movie we actually get to see it. Uh, also, that very funny shot of Booty Brown failing to rise out of the sand pit is very funny. Where he's like, apparently they had to do it like thirty times or something. I know, I know. And then like Jamie's like, "All right, you're done. You're done. Good job. You did it." And then Booty Brown almost looks like almost annoyed, and he's just like, "Yeah, thanks." <laughs> but yeah, it's just cool. It's just really cool to see Jamie like coming up with shot ideas on the day and. Uh, yeah, he was talking about how like he wanted Booty Brown to be like up here on the truck and then over here on the hill, so it would almost be like he's teleporting around like a phantom. Very cool, very cool. And, yeah. then, and then you get the little shot of that happening in the video. It's very cool. Right, yeah. Uh, and then you get a cool quote from Damon saying, we're trying to create something that has no references to rock music whatsoever. Did anybody tell Cass Brown? I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> Doesn't sound like they did. Okay, the big, the next big centerpiece is that we move into the Manchester residency. Yeah, we start seeing uh, the Demon Days live performances coming together. I love how we introduced that I, that whole section with the shot of like Damon talking to the festival organizers, like talking about the space and being nervous about the seats working, and and then in the background you just see Jamie Hewlett with this giant 
prop boner that he's holding over his crotch and like thrusting it, looking into the camera, making faces while David's like, yeah, I don't know, because I'm looking at this side of the stage and I'm just worried that people aren't going to be able to see. If- <laughs> oh, I love him. I love our boys. They're so good. Yeah, Jamie Hewlett is definitely the hidden secret weapon of the entire Girls Project. I totally agree. But then yeah. again, he gets right down to business. You see Jamie sketching out how the how the actual performance is going to work he's got a he's got his easel in front of him right and and a bunch of organizers and and producers around him he says okay here's how it's going to work he's he's sketching really fast and furious right and we get to see him have the idea of putting damon into the back of the stage in silhouette you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and say like you'll be like the smallest silhouette and all the collaborators will be up front you'll be able to see them and then it's his idea but then damon uh damon goes i'm happy with that i really like that so it's very cool. It's very cool to watch that moment happen, you know? Yeah, nice moment of unity between the two uh, halves of gorillas. And then I suppose rest in peace to asshole Ike Turner, who we do see uh, very briefly give uh, give Damon a hug, and then they, they're both kind of lent over the same piano, practicing every planet we reach is dead for a moment. That's a really cool scene, yeah. It is cool to see him doing that. Um, and then uh, Damon throws up. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I guess kicking heroin didn't help that tummy that much, huh? It's just pre pre show jitters. Then we see Rosie very gamely singing and dancing with with human monster Sean Ryder. <laughs> 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 what is going on with Sean Ryder's skin? Like he looked it looks terrifying. He looks I, I think I think all this time later we haven't we still haven't figured out anything that was going on with Sean Ryder at this point. It's a good question. It almost looks like Maybe like somebody ironed out a Jason Voorhees mask, <laughs> and that's his face. Sean, come be on the show for sure. Sean, come on that show for sure. I hear you're sober. Congratulations. Way to go. Pazdanus tells a funny story about getting off stage from doing Feel Good Inc. and somebody handing him a towel. <laughs> He's like, "I was just on stage for two minutes. I'm used to doing two hours. I don't need a towel." <laughs> Uh, and Damon caps the whole event off by saying uh, that it was another wow in a series of wows. Great way to put it. He's the man's a poet. Oh gosh, was there anything? I don't have too many notes about the MTV Europe Music Awards. I do. I I, I just have that they're there. Yeah, I, I didn't really. I didn't dig anything out of this scene. Oh, I wonder is this where Jamie says that a, a a PA held up three fingers to him and he thought it might mean that the PA wanted to to like finger him or something. I missed that, but I mean, it's possible. I think he's like, that's how many fingers are going to be shoved up my ass. I think that's what he says. Uh, you Could see, be. you see Damon giving a, a hard time to a, a radio interview that he's doing over the phone where he's like, how else would I get to America from England without it being a long flight? Unless you've invented a new form of transportation. Which is like, why, why is he being such a dick? Cause he hates doing interviews. <laughs> I know, but it's your job, dude. Come on. He like you it. think like do you think like the radio dj is super into it i'm sure right like oh my god i gotta call this dude from this fucking cartoon band today who was in this british band that nobody really remembers over here and then they always make fun of the, the if, if if radio interviews are very interesting if if, the, if a celebrity gives them shit they act like really friendly with them on the air and then they hang up and then talk about what a dick they were and then yeah. always talk about what a dick they are whenever they come up again but then we've got the true actual centerpiece of this film, Trevor. What was that again? The 
the Damon Albarn versus Dirty Harry choir director. Oh, yes. This is the climax. This is where everything comes to a head. This is so good. Everything yeah. about this sequence is good, man. But it's, there's so much tension built into it, and there's suspense. Well, and Just, it's, yeah. it's the moment when you see the hypothetical inner-city blackness of Damon Albarn's writing come face-to-face with actual inner-city blackness and have to defend right. himself. You know what I mean? Right. He's all of a sudden in this environment that he's like been writing about. And there's like a figure from it asking, like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Exactly. It's so yeah. interesting. It's, it's really so great. interesting. Okay, so I tried to watch it this time, Trevor, believing that the lyric is among. Because I always <laughs> Me too, actually. Yeah. I always took it as Damon was like trying to weasel his way out of it, but but yeah. I decided that the debate would be interesting to watch believing that it that he was telling the truth that somehow the lyric sheet given to the kids. Okay. Let's just start. Let's start from what's going let's on. Let's talk here. about what happens. Yeah. So you've got this lady here. Uh, she says she's from a congregation and so is the children's choir. So like basically this lady from a church in New Jersey has brought her children's choir from her church to come sing at the Apollo show. She saw the lyric sheet in which it says, I need a gun <clears throat> to keep myself from harm. And she's like, this is, concerning to me and shocking to me that you've got like young african-american males singing this stuff right and then damon very much caught off balance tries to explain what he's doing yeah he tries to explain the whole like demon days concept to her almost and, and there's two edits in this scene so it's it's cut down from a much larger sequence and and we kind of see the arc happen we don't see the full thing um it starts off with him steadfastly defending the lyric by saying that it's not from harm. It's to keep myself among the poor people who are burning in the sun. Okay. Can we unpack why that changes it? Does that change it? You mean the change from among to from harm or vice versa? Like why is one better than the other or less offensive than the other? I feel like it really isn't right. Like, I guess like what is the real difference? Well, there? I guess I wouldn't be able to tell you, I guess to keep myself among is like, it almost feels it all. I don't know because they're both like very paranoid. It's implying the other one, if nothing else. Yes, they're both. It's keeping it a little more vague, right? So to keep myself from harm feels like I have the intention to to use this thing because somebody's out to get me, and to keep myself among is like I don't want to die. So maybe maybe one's a little bit more passive and one's a little bit more active. Maybe I would say yeah, among might be a little more passive, a little bit, but it doesn't seem to be yeah. a make or break. Then. Mm. Uh, there's this really awkward moment where, for some reason, Damon doesn't want to say black or African-American. So he's like, uh, well, you know, we've done it in England with kids of similar uh, uh, <laughs> ethnic backgrounds. And it was recorded in Atlanta with, with purely uh, – uh, and then she's like, African-Americans. And he's like, exactly. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Why won't you just say it? Say black kids, yeah. Damon. So then here's the craziest bit. So Damon Damon now tries to explain what it means, okay? And I wrote it out word for word, and let's see if it makes any sense, okay? Sure, yeah. Let me hear he it. He goes, it's a sort of rhetorical thing. It's an anti-war. If you look at Booty Brown's lyrics, it's utterly and totally anti-that. It's pacifist. The whole record is a pacifist record. The gun is a, is a uh, I, I suppose, I see the gun as a, and I use it throughout the record as sort of 
it's such a negative image that it has to be somehow sort of destroyed and turn into something else. Do you know what I mean? That's all I'm trying to do. And I'm being very upfront. Yes. Using a kid's choir on the record. It's very sort of, yeah, you're the first people to bring this up actually. <laughs> and the other director, which I, which I truly believe I, I clearly, cause he's never yeah. had to talk about it before. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. That's he, quite obvious. He has a hard time articulating what he was trying to do with that. And I think what he was trying to do with it was give you was reference inner city black violence in a way that was shocking and provocative. Uh and and you know, maybe for better and for worse. Maybe this lady has a point that it's problematic for him to be doing this, you know? But then then there's this one point where, where he's like, she, the director goes, I guess what I hear you saying is that it's about the dichotomy between dark and light. And then David goes, exactly. The album is called Demon Days. And she goes, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much great stuff going on in the scene, too. At one point, they try and get the lyric sheet to, like, prove it wrong. But it does say, like, from harm, or no, she brings the lyrics she didn't yeah, with yeah, her, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, So, see, it says right yeah. here, from harm, and then he goes, what, why? And then he's, like, talking to the choir director, why does it say this? It's not yeah. supposed to who say this. Who, who put, and they're like, no, these aren't his words. Yeah, yeah. And then it ends, it does end with a hug. They do resolve it at, by the end of it. They they give each yeah, other... Yeah, Damon gets by by, like, the fucking skin of his teeth. Boy, it, he, you could see the flop sweat on his head, though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it, was, it was rough. It was a rough moment yeah. for him. <laughs> and then we, we move out of it just with, like, a brief shot of Jamie Hewlett waking up in the backseat of a car and going, where's Damon? <laughs> Almost like he sensed that his friend was in trouble. <laughs> or that this was a dream he had, like immediately for shadowing events that were about to come. For sure. It's a really good piece of editing. <laughs> then we see Dennis Hopper, who's very stressed out about performing Fire Coming Out uh, live at the Apollo. Was he at your performance Trevor? No, I think he only showed up at the last one. Yeah, that that's what I remembered happening too. He does not look well in this shot to me. How how um how soon after this would he pass? He he didn't die until twenty ten, but I guess he had a pretty long battle with cancer from what I remember. Hmm. It would not be it would not surprise me if he was like in the middle of a round of treatment or something at this point. Yeah, I mean that might have all been the case. For, for, uh, from what I read of the of the live review that I was able to track down of him at the Apollo, everybody said that it, he got a huge round of applause and it was really fun to watch him do it live then then uh smoggy nelson takes a huge smelly shit backstage <laughs> you remember do you remember this part i do i do there's a lot of toilet humor in the movie mike smith yells fucking 12 pounds of ginger turds <laughs> and then david goes if i'm sick then it ruins my vocal cords <laughs> and then and then right after that damon farts and giggles and runs out of the room and then everybody starts moaning and he's like i didn't make that smell he did when he took that shit in there trevor this is the artistic process these boys <laughs> just so gross so gross and so great um, I did get really emotional because there's like a little edit piece of of scenes from the Apollo live performances that's like cut to the gospel choir singing the end of Demon Days, right? Playing over the climax of Demon Days. Yeah, that is a that it's a fitting. This is kind of like almost the um, not the climax of the. This is kind of like the climax of the film, and it's it's a, yeah. it's a nice moment to kind of carry us through to the end. Yeah, it's like an emotional climax, you know. And then yeah. and then just as I was like sort of mopping the tears from my eyes. Uh, David Albarn puts a cigarette between his, his, his index finger and his thumb, Trevor, 
with with the eye of the tiger, with the with the focus of a of a of a crow magnon looking to hunt down a wild boar, he flips that cigarette and it lands perfectly between his lips. It's great, and they even uh, they even put a little red arrow next to him right before he does it, so that uh, so that you're watching, yeah, so that you're watching him, and he finally does it. Yeah, he accomplishes this thing he's been and then, practicing for <laughs> the, five years. The, well, the last line of the movie yeah. is that Jamie Jamie looks over and sees Damon like like dancing in celebration, and Jamie says, "What?" And then Damon goes, "Nothing. Something I've been working on for the last six years." And then Jamie says, "Smoking." <laughs> wonderful and yeah he does it like in the split second that jamie looks away yeah it's great but it doesn't matter because the camera caught it yep (laughs) really beautiful moment and like a great kind of bookend to the movie i love this movie trevor i would watch it again like right now i love this it's really great it's just entertaining the entire way through can i actually um can i actually bring up i know we weren't going to get into the bonus content though no that's fine that's fine that's fine bring something up yeah i want to bring up one more thing about the bonus content the minute and a half um, extra about the sneeze. Oh, yeah. Did you watch this one? I, not recently, but I know what you're referring to. Right. It takes place during the uh, recording of the, or the filming of the 192000 video. Yes. And it's basically just like a minute of Jamie getting kind of pissed that Damon wants to be the one to record the elk sneeze yeah. that, <laughs> you know, sets the rockets off course. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, they have to wait uh for him to get back from abroad to do it. So it's going to push the entire production of the 192000 video back an entire day just because Damon wants to be the one to do the sneeze. <laughs> yeah, because... The, and that really... Because the young prince demands it. Yeah, this really recontextualizes the 192000 video for me as almost being about the kind of rift between the animated side of the project and the musical one. Well... Like the Damon side and the Jamie one. Because if this is true, that means the elk is like... The elk is Damon... And I think gorillas are Jamie. Right. And and in the book, don't they make some kind of weird metaphor about it being impositions on the creative process or something like that? Something like that. So, yeah, the 192000 video just kind of climaxes with Jamie trying, like, shooting this, making this aggressive attempt on Damon, for lack of better words, and Damon not even noticing and just totally blowing it off to, like, you know, Jamie's Jamie getting blown up. So then I guess that makes 192000 the second most passive-aggressive gorillas video after Do You Think. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> but that's it that's that's our time with the boys you know what this this that's made bananas. me think even though i groaned earlier about the prospect of a, of a rise of the ogre too i would so kill for a bananas too showing us absolutely yeah. showing us all that stuff trevor i guess i guess we're we're wrapping up here but we do we got a little we got some news to tell our our, yeah, we got some stuff to tease for next week right i'm very excited about it because uh because we're not quite done with bananas yet i suppose no, yeah, this is, I, I think, um, you know, last week was the season three finale. I think this, this these, these next two episodes we're going to be doing, well, this one included, are kind of a mid-season kind of special in the Hallelujah Monkeys canon. Exactly. You know, the, the two-parter end of the summer special, because next, next week we've got some cool stuff to do. So, in theory, next week we're going to be reviewing the Super Deluxe of, of Humans. Right, that will, be the, that will be the news for the week, because those tracks... Are going to be dropping. We're going to finally have our hands on them. We're going to want to cover them as soon as possible. Delivery delivery issues, notwithstanding. Obviously, if they don't show up on right. people's doors, then we won't. We won't. Then we're fucked. But we'll see. Hope, hopefully, theoretically, there's that. But then we've got part two of our bananas episode. Trevor, why don't you tell the folks at home what they got in store? 
Right, yeah, we've been really excited to announce this, but um, next week we'll be doing a part two of Bananas with uh, Carrie Levy. The director of Bananas. The director of Bananas. It was an intense and amazing process, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, It is definitely the most exciting thing I've done for this podcast, and maybe, like, you know, in my entire history as a Gorillaz fan. And one step closer to the inner circle. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Jamin. Damien. I initially mispronounced them, but I decided to just roll with it. Yeah. For sure, because their their love affair it's it's real, and I'm so glad yeah. that they're back together and that they're friends again. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear that interview next week. Um, I I want to wrap things up as I usually do by letting you guys know that you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, Instagram, even a weird app called Amino that I haven't opened in a month. You can send us an email at hallelujahmonkeys at gmail dot com. You can write us a review on iTunes; that always helps us. Uh, or join our Discord server at discord.me slash monkeys with a Z and support the show with a monthly donation on Patreon. Why don't you? And thank you again to those listeners who have already done so. Yes, thank you. And uh, until next week, I'm Trevor Ikraft. I'm Dylan Flynn. And remember, boys and girls, Satan loves you! <laughs>